0: Alright guys, Uh, if you have a Bible, you can open it to Luke chapter 11, beginning at verse 37. We're on the back end of spring break, and so we've lost a whole other set of people this morning, college students, not back yet. But the good news is, is that the Lord is here with us, and He has sovereignly said, I want this group of people here today to engage with this specific good news message from God's Word. And so I pray that as we read through God's Word this morning, we will do so with confidence, I hope if you don't already know this, you've seen that we're not here to engage in some type of a religious entertainment, Sunday morning fix, but we believe Jesus invites us through the gathered church for us all to come and participate in the communion that we share with him through prayer, through song, through word, through table, and through the fellowship that we share in the good news of his kingdom. We're in this series going through Meals with Jesus where we see how Jesus welcomed people oftentimes going into their homes, having a meal with them, and then engaging them on a level deeper than they maybe would have anticipated and often deeper than they desired. So Jesus, uh, Jesus is, the you know, we often say sin will take us farther than we wanted to go, keep us longer than we wanted to stay, and cost us more than we wanted to pay. So that's classic church sort of cliche line. But the Jesus is the greater And the better, not only one who covers our sins, but He also takes us further than we want to go. And by His grace, sometimes and often, He keeps us there longer than maybe we had wanted to stay. But unlike sin, instead of taking from us, He gives to us. But He calls us in that to surrender so that we might experience a greater life than we could have under our own lordship. And we see that again this morning in Luke chapter 11. ...as he dines with this Pharisee. So we'll read Luke 11, beginning verse 37. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash his hands before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and of the dish... But inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give his alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe, mint, and rue, and every herb, and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you, lawyers, also. For you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who are entering. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. Father, may your spirit pierce our hearts with the word of Christ. We ask you today to help us to see Jesus, to hear Jesus, To make us more like Jesus. But above all God, we we pray that you would just raise our awareness of our need of Jesus. And the fact that he is enough to change us beneath the surface. And to bring good news to this world beneath the surface. We trust you and depend on you fully to do the work that only you through your spirit and word can do now. In Jesus' name, amen. I couldn't find the vi- a video I wanted to show you guys this morning, but it, it tells a good story of how oftentimes well-intended service, well-intended love, and for the sake of our series, well-intended hospitality can totally miss the mark. It's the story of a lady who, a hypothetical imaginary lady here, who, who had someone come to her home with an a empty bucket. An empty bucket needing water. A person who was always running dry. And so this lady in her kindness filled this person's bucket with water. Only to have this person come back next week to have the bucket filled again because the bucket had a hole in it. And so she would fill fill this bucket with water week in and week out and again, this other lady, this other person bringing the bucket begin to say, this is a person who loves people. This is finally a person who cares. This is finally a person who will sacrifice of their time and their energy and their resources to meet this need that I have. And so others begin to come with her and they would bring their buckets with their holes in them to this person's house and this lady would, would fill these buckets. And before long, she began to see, wow, this need is way bigger than I thought. There are so many people in this neighborhood, so many people in this city who have this need to have their buckets filled with water. And so she began a ministry. In our church, we might say, she, she launched a, a missional community. She called others to rally around her to fill these buckets And then pretty soon she began to to report to others of the beautiful and great things that that she was doing and and for the sake of our circles here again, that God was doing. That they would see these hundreds and then eventually thousands of people's buckets being filled week in and week out. Until one day someone had the, the courage to point out the obvious. Hey, what about the holes in the buckets you know we could keep filling these buckets and we could keep spending all this money and all this time and all this resources and sharing all these big numbers of the thousands of peoples whose buckets that we fill but shouldn't we address the holes how are the holes getting there why aren't the holes being repaired and restored? As I heard this story, I couldn't help but think of this is so often what, what our ministry and well intended ministry, well intended nonprofit work, well intended people can do over the course of their time is they can continue to simply address the surface needs. Now we need to be able to offer relief to people. And there are times when there is an emergency and we don't have time to consider what the hole is in the bucket. We just need to help someone. But we need to realize, as our good friends over at Covenant College on Lookout Mountain have said, is often we, if we're not careful, we can be engaged in a helping that actually hurts people. We can do that with our hospitality as well, as we can continue to open our lives, open our hearts, open our homes, open our resources to people, but all we do is continue to address the symptoms of the issue and not the source. Someone said as well that at at some point, as we live this life of good Samaritans as we talked about last week, and we, we care for people who've been thrown in the ditch, who've been robbed, who've been exploited, and who have needed to be cared for, we need to ask, what about the conditions of the road? Why, why are there still people continuing to get robbed on that road? You see, hospitality in the way of Jesus is not content just to stay on the surface whether it be the hearts of people we're going to look at, or it be the the systems, the world that people live in. Because Jesus is more about offering temporary relief. He is ultimately about eternal relief that comes through an eternal restoration, breaking into a person's life in the present and overthrowing through that person and through his people into all of the world. And as we think this morning about what it means in light of what our text says, and Jesus is calling these Pharisees to be convicted of the fact that they have done so many great things, but they have neglected the heart of what it means to change. They have neglected justice in the way that it affects other people. Is that we need to see that a hospitality that is just is a holistic hospitality that cares for the heart but also cares for the whole. That addresses both public systems, and personal realities. The first one we see here is the personal. So if we want to address the hole in the bucket like Jesus did, then we've got to listen for the source, not just the systems. We've got to listen to the heart. So how were the Pharisees incomplete in how they offered, let's say, this hospitality in view of the heart? Well, the first thing we see in verses 37 and 38 is, is that the Pharisees spent time with others, engaged in their ministry only for the sake of behavioral, external change. They just wanted to get people to do the right thing. We see this very clearly. The Pharisee is astonished that Jesus did not wash his hands. Jesus is not a person who worships the idol of keeping the peace and comfort. Jesus is a holy provoker, we might say. He knows this Pharisee is going to be upset that he doesn't follow his little religious rules and jump through his religious hoops. And instead of saying, ah, just to make things nicer, I'll just do it for him. No, Jesus doesn't contextualize to the self-righteous. He contextualizes to those who are in need. And this Pharisee is astonished. How could he not do so? He's supposed to be a holy man. He's supposed to be someone who cares about protecting the truth. So there's a hospitality here, but there's a hospitality that's focused on the hands and not the heart. And Jesus challenges him. Down here in verse 41, he says, Give alms those things that are within. Give as alms. That is, do your giving. Not mainly in view of what people see from the outside, but in view of what you give from your own heart. And behold, everything is clean for you. Jesus is saying that giving from the inside of who we are is the key to change. And if we want to experience change and we want to see others changed, then we have got to give to others beneath the surface. But the Pharisees couldn't lead people there because that's not where they were and that's not even where they were willing to go themselves so Jesus says in verse 39 you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and the dish but inside you are full of greed and wickedness you fools did not he who made the outside make the inside also they couldn't give from the heart because their heart wasn't clean What we're seeing here is this type of real hospitality is not first of all about getting others to go to the level of the heart. It begins with us addressing our own hearts. Systems of religious, superficial, surface-based encounter, you know why those are so protected? It's because the people in power over those don't want to deal with their own stuff in their own hearts. It's it's easy to wash your hands. It's a whole lot harder to do serious inventory on the sin and evil and need within your own heart. Jesus says they were foolish because they were living as if God was only a God of the surface. So oftentimes the way that we try to encourage one another to address our own hearts is we ask our questions in reverse. for those who are new, we have these, these common four questions we'll ask as we read God's word and we, we help one another. Who is God? What has God done in Jesus? Who am I? And what should I do? And So this just helps us keep the God first, the gospel first, and not just jump in what should I do. But if we ask these questions to get to our heart, then we have to say, in the moment of our sin, in the moment of our, our suffering even. Who are we really believing that God is? And for the Pharisees, Jesus is saying they are only believing God is a God of the outside. God's only a God who cares what you do. And for many of us raised in maybe religious background or religious circles, or even in this religious southern culture that we live, even if you didn't grow up in a church, this can be the impression that you get, is God really only cares that I do the right thing? I do better, try harder, I keep the rules, I jump through the hoops, and that keeps me out of everybody else's hair. You know, and if I make a good presentation on the outside, then I won't be a burden to other people. If I keep a good presentation on the outside, then I won't even have to deal with what's on the inside. And Jesus, again, is just dropping this this bomb of the gospel in the middle of all of our self-protective strategies that look very nice and polished on the outside. He will not engage in this type of hospitality, it says. Let's all just agree when we get together to be nice, to put on our best faces, because it's just going to be a lot neater and cleaner that way. And there may be some of you even this morning, that's how you engage even in your own own house, with your own spouses, with your own children, is this pretend, let's all do the right thing, because you you don't want to go there. Jesus, in His tough grace, takes this Pharisee there, and He wants to take us there, as families, as missional communities, as fight clubs. For those who are new, we don't really get together and beat each other up. We gather in these smaller groups of guys and girls, and fight sin and suffering with the gospel. One time, my son Elisha, he was bit by a dog on his mouth, and. When, when our kids were little, new to having kids, it's like, oh, well, I don't know what to do. Is that a rub, your, rub some dirt on it situation? Quit crying or is it a, you've got rabies? I don't know. So we went to the emergency room and I remember we went to this emergency room. It's a beautiful place, you know, I guess as far as hospital goes, it's at least nice and clean and you're welcomed, you're greeted with kindness. And then you, you just kind of sit around and wait. And then I remember after all that, we finally get to see the doctor and the doctor, or whoever it was, didn't even really look at it much. They didn't even wash it. And they just said, it'll be okay. And you know, they were right, it was okay. But it all felt so superficial. You know, with a dad, with a little kid that's been hurt, you're like, man, I I really wish that you would have went a little deeper. I really wish that after we went to all this trouble, to come here, to drive here, to engage in this process, you would have told us a little more and you would have done a little more. And so I was quite angry, especially when you start receiving bills number two and three, (laughs) hundreds of dollars so that somebody could just do, yeah, it's gonna be okay. But I thought about that in terms of our hospitality. As we open our lives and our homes to one another, if we're not careful, we can have a great meal, we can have a great environment. And then people come and they sit. And, and you know, it's one thing for there to initially be just getting to know one another and breaking the ice and talking about the weather and sports. That's okay, there's nothing wrong with that. We have to do that or we'll scare one another to death, right? We're not saying, sit down, put your arm around somebody you just met and say, tell me your deepest fear. But if we just continue continue to, to, to be with one another and to open our lives to the stranger, to the outsider. Over time, and sometimes sooner than you think when it comes to someone who is used to being treated like a project by the church, they will say, I, I, I came here, I did all this, and all you're going to do is, is, is say, hey, yeah, you're, it's okay. All you're going to do is say, let's see if we can get these people to wash their hands. And for many of us, washing hands means just showing up to stuff. If we're honest, like what do we really value in church world? Attendance. Attendance. Success. That's not what we're about. Yeah. Well, we showed up Sunday morning. Yay! You came to a family meal. You 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 engaged in this in this fight club. Attendance, yay! And the the church of the world goes around and patents herself on the back, right? Because we got people to attend stuff. And Jesus is just Jesus is not walking around with his with his book saying, "Okay, we had X number of people attend something." Jesus is saying, "We want to get to the inside of the cup. We can't be centered on the systems then." Centered on the symptoms, that is. Some of us get so astonished. Some of us, because we're so used to symptoms being addressed, we don't want to share. I heard a story one time in a, a discipleship group, much like our fight clubs. They fi- finally, they, they were able to engage and get somebody from a, a non-church perspective involved, and immediately this lady began to start talking about her, her, her use of pot or weed. And the people were, guess what? Like the Pharisee, astonished you believe anyone would do that? Could you believe? And and you know what happened? What what did their astonishment cause? That person to never show up again. The heart of a Pharisee is astonished when they realize that other people have really deep sins and struggles. Because they've lived in their own self-denial while they're full of greed and wickedness but yet they can still check off all their attendance and tithing checklists. If we want to be a people with this holistic hospitality that gets beneath the surface, then we've got to to be less astonished that we're all super needy, broken, sinful people who need Jesus. Because a culture that's always astonished isn't a safe culture for anybody to be real and to be genuine about who they are. And many of us in here, if we're honest and starting with me, are like, I bet I could shock some people. I probably could. And we need to be wise in how we share, but we need to see that Jesus wants us to go there with him if we're not ready to go there with anyone else. So we've got to open our houses, open our homes, open our hearts to listen for the heart. So we engage with one another, whether it be our spouses, our children, our missional communities, our fight clubs, our co-workers, our, our, our common missions that we're wanting to get around the table where they can experience Jesus. We don't need to just listen for what people are doing wrong and we wish they'd do better. Now we want to hear their behavior patterns, but what we really want to listen for is, man, what, what is this person really wanting? What are their unspoken desires? What do they really want? What are they really worshiping? What are they really believing will give their life worth? So I guarantee you that it's not mainly about that drug. It's not mainly about that anger. There's a deeper thing that they're wanting. And they're settling for a lesser God the only God, the only true God who can satisfy their hearts. What are their unspoken beliefs? All right, everybody's around here, yeah, I'm a Christian. Who's their real Christ? Who's their real Savior? What's their real Savior? If you really listen to people, you don't, really, you don't have to just awkwardly ask that question. So tell me what your real Savior is. Now, if you listen long enough to yourself, you're going to start to find out, oh, wow, I say Jesus is Lord, but this is is what really directs and guides my life and gets me up in the morning and stays on my mind when I go to bed at night. If you listen to your own heart, you begin to see that. If you listen to others, you begin to hear that. What are the unspoken narratives or stories that they're living in? Is it the story of God? A story that is honest about the the hardships of the world, of sin and suffering, but also is filled with hope and the power and person of Christ? Or is there another story therein? How do we engage the heart when we hear these things? Well, just like Jesus says to the Pharisees, the starting place is by being honest about our own hearts. We can't lead someone where we're not willing to journey ourselves. That doesn't mean that we have to arrive first because newsflash, we're never going to arrive in this life. It just means we've got to be on that journey. If we're going to effectively and authentically take somebody's hand and say, I know that you've been engaged with people your whole life who just want to put a Band-Aid on your cancer, but I'm going to take your hand. I'm not going to give up on you, and we're going to walk down into the inside of that cup. Then you've got to be also walking into your cup. If you don't, it's going to feel like paternalism, like you think you're just better than they are and you're here to to help them and be their savior instead of pointing them to Jesus. But if you're saying, hey, I need Jesus as much as you do, but I'm willing, let's go there. That's where it starts. But we're going to have to do that. We're going to have to learn to be present with ourselves and we're going to have to learn to be present with others. If when we show up to our tables, whether that's a literal table or a metaphorical table, to engage with people in our lives, if, if, we cannot take our, if we cannot have a spare downtime moment where we're not scrolling on our phones, then we will not be able to go down to the inside of the cup. We won't. If you're leading in in any area where you want to see this type of culture created where we can go beneath the surface, then you need to be especially aware of the culture that you set that learns to be present with people. We want to distract and we want to numb, but Jesus wants us to go beneath the surface. And that's scary. But what it reveals to us then is how big of a Jesus do we have how sufficient was the atonement that he offered on the cross will it be enough for what is down in that cup the good news is it will be will the power of his resurrection be enough to lead us in that walk of change to clean the inside of the cup yes it will We don't want to merely do stuff. We don't want to live lives that are content with decades of superficial conversations, of superficial relationships, superficial religion, superficial church, and say, we washed our hands, we attended. Jesus wants us to have tables, our homes, our lives, our missional communities where people are like, wow. I don't really know if I want to go there. It's this it's this weird place that's really safe, and I don't feel threatened, I don't feel condemned, I don't feel judged, and yet at the same time, I I know they're gonna want to know about my heart. And I know they're gonna want to share the gospel with me. We've got to address the heart if we want to address the hole in the bucket. The second thing though we see in this text in a longer part, and don't be afraid, we won't, we won't uh, jot every, dot every eye under these verses, but addressing the hole in the bucket, it begins with addressing people's hearts. But it also means listening for the systems, so not just listening for the sources that people need, but also the systems around them in this world. The Pharisees didn't want to go there. The lawyers didn't want to go there, they just wanted to tell people, hey, you, it's all just you just pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and, and just doing the right thing, and you'll be okay. And so the Pharisees, Jesus says here, they focused on personal righteousness to the neglect of public righteousness. Woe to you, scribes and phar- woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint, rue, and every herb, and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So they took their tithing to the next level. So neither the Old Testament nor even the Mishnah, their sort of book of extra laws, required that you were to tithe your spice rack. But these guys were like, we're going to be so dedicated to the holiness of God that we're going to go into actually our spices and say, a tenth of my mint goes to the Lord. These people did not lack for zeal. It's not as if they were like what we might call dead and cold in their passion. It was just in the wrong place. We spent a lot of time on the things of God, but it was the things of God that they wanted to do and they were comfortable doing, and it wasn't really the main things, which Jesus says here are justice and the love of God if you think about it really all Jesus is doing here is what he does often and he is kind of just giving us the two great commands Jesus says keeping the whole law is done in these ways that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength and love our neighbor as ourself when we love our neighbor as ourself then we begin to care about the whole orb of their existence because if we're honest, that's how we love ourselves. Jesus is, is quoting from this tradition. As Melanie read from Amos, I won't read that again. But in Isaiah one twelve through 18, the Pharisees would have known this. They just didn't want to deal with it. He says, when you come to appear before me, who is required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and your solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They've become a burden to me. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. This is, this is so important to the background of this. Notice, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Isaiah is saying, you're going to make yourself clean. You're not going to make yourself clean by, by your assemblies and your feast and your spiritual disciplines. He says, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. And if any of us think, oh, this is getting into some type of new legalism, then Isaiah says this verse we we know. It comes right next in the context, but we often separate it. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. We know that verse, some of us do. But what's the context? It's the context of a group of followers of, of Yahweh, of God, who have made the main thing into a non-essential thing. Who have forgotten the wisdom of the Lord from Proverbs, where he says in Proverbs 21.3, to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Where he says in Proverbs 31, eight and 9, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Where he says later in Isaiah 58:6, is this not the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Jeremiah 22.3 Thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed and do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless, and the widow. I'm skipping a bunch. There's a whole much more. Micah 6.8 He has told you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. to do justice in that middle part, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. That is not the culture that we experience much in our country, and it's sadly not the culture we experience in much of our church experiences. Jesus is just telling them what the Bible's always said. Jesus is saying, if you guys wanna be biblical, this is what it looks like to be biblical. If you want to care about the truth, if you want to take a stand for holiness in an evil generation, this is what it looks like. It doesn't look like focusing on your little list. It looks like loving God and loving others and doing it beneath the surface, not just pouring water in buckets with holes in them, but caring about how that hole got there And who is the one who's not allowing it to be filled? Because Jesus understood the story of God. And when he talks about the fallenness of the world, he realizes, yes, people are fallen. People are depraved. People are sinful. But that sinfulness, that fallenness, and that depravity is not just infected individuals. It's infected everything. It's infected the the world, the culture, the systems. So Jesus here in his boldness is not only going against these Pharisees and lawyers as the religious authorities, but really as the political authorities in their day that would conspire together with Rome to see him killed because he would speak in such a pointed way. He would say woe to them for this, but also in verse 43, woe for focusing on their public power to the neglect of empowering others. They love the best seat in the synagogues. They want to be on top. They don't care who's sitting anywhere else as long as they're at the front. They focus on their public influence to the neglect of acknowledging their own dead states. He says in verse 44, woe to you, you're like unmarked graves. So you're calling people to all this cleanness, but you're dead yourself. You are unclean. In another place he would say you, you travel earth and sea only to make someone just another son of hell like yourself. These lawyers say, hey, Jesus, we're kind of feeling offended here, like you're kind of lumping us up in with them. And Jesus doesn't skip a beat, and he's like, yeah. (laughs) And they're probably like, man, we should have been quiet. And so he goes on to the lawyers with three woes. These woes are these words of judgment calling people to repentance. The lawyers, what do they love to do? They like to load people with burdens hard to bear and not lift a finger to help them. These lawyers like to tell everybody else what they should do, how they're doing it wrong. This is what you could do. This is what you should do. If you were like me, you would get it together, but they won't do anything to really help anybody else. Sure, they might give a handout, but will they help know someone, love someone, and give their lives to see someone's life changed? They're self-deceived, verses 47 through 51. They honor the prophets. But these prophets, like Isaiah, that they honor, it was their very ancestors that killed them. It's easy to honor a dead prophet because that dead prophet can't call you on anything anymore. We love to celebrate people who died for great causes because they're not around anymore to call us on our inconsistencies. And Jesus said something here pretty crazy. He's like, you know what? You weren't there doing that, but the current attitude and the way that you live, just, it joins you with them. And he says this, I I don't have a clear explanation of this, but he says you share in their accountability. You're not really any different just because you're different on the outside. Your attitudes are the same. Then he says, woe to you, verse 52, because you interpret the Scriptures falsely to your own advantage. This is what he means when he says you, you've taken away the key to knowledge. You're supposed to be the one that helped people understand the law so that they can have their burdens lifted, but you use the law of God to lay on people more burdens. You say, you've you got to get on my level. you got to become like me, look like me, dress like me, be holy like me instead of calling them to know God and to be like him. And the system fights back when we take this type of Jesus following stance. So what do they do? Well, they're ticked off like probably most of us would be if Jesus just kind of aired out the inside of the cup because we wouldn't deal with it. And guess what? If we follow Jesus in this way, we are not going to be liked by the world. Oh man, you're getting awfully political. You know, you're talking about religion. You know, we've, old country song, right? You can talk about anything but politics, religion, or her. Jesus hasn't gotten to her yet, but he's going to have a lot to say about our relationships. Jesus is Lord over everything. He doesn't come with all our little compartments that we like to put on stuff. And people don't like that. So they begin to press him, provoke him, and they're lying in wait for him to catch him in something. They're trying to trap him. This is first century gotcha journalism. This is first century whataboutism. Well, what about this, right? Well, we're not talking about that, but if i you know, let's talk about that because then I won't have to talk about my stuff. It's traps, it's tricks. Not in the pursuit of truth as so often is said, but in the pursuit of muddying the waters enough so I can protect my own comfort and control. And we know what's going to happen. They're going to kill him. The religious leaders and the political leaders see him as a threat to their power and control and comfort, and he is, and so he has to be silent. He's messing with their status quo. He's messing with their agreement that this is how we're all going to protect ourselves. And they know that threatening Jesus doesn't work. He can't be bribed. He can't be bought with any money, with any offer of comfort. Not even Satan himself has the persuasive power to take Jesus away from the mission of His Father, to set us free from sin, and to set the captive free from suffering. And praise God, He lived the life that we could not live, and we don't live. Praise God that He didn't didn't latch to that idol of comfort, and idol of control, and idol of approval. He did it for us. And then He went to the cross, And at the hands of these religious and political leaders, he would not compromise to the point of death. And we find ourselves in this story, not as Jesus on that cross, but we find ourselves as those in those crowds, clinging to our power and clinging to our control and clinging to our comfort, unwilling to deal with the insides of our cups and unwilling to deal with the holes in other people's buckets. But He didn't relent and He didn't stop and He went up on that cross and He died the penalty in our place that we deserved. He dealt with the hole in the bucket that is our sin and that deserves God's eternal judgment. Because in the cross we see that God loves justice. He is justice. And he will see justice done for our sin. But in his grace, he places his judgment on his son in our behalf. For all who will come to him, they can know the judgment of God has already been given in Christ. Hell is no sign of the lack of God's love or goodness. It is the ultimate sign of his unchanging goodness and kindness and righteousness. Because it says all things will be made right in the end, whether in my son or whether in the deserving judgment that people choose instead of him. The death would not be the end, that Jesus would not be left unjustly condemned by the powers of this world. That He would be raised by the power of God, affirming that His sacrifice was accepted. And He would be raised to empower all that would trust in Him with the power of His Spirit, the same Spirit that He said is upon me to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim good news to the captive, so that people would be set free. And He would tell us as His people who've received through the cross the justice of God given to us so graciously and freely in spite of our sin, He would say, now I want you to go now and demonstrate my love and care for justice in dealing with the hearts of people beneath the surface, but also caring about this world in which so many injustices are demonstrated. He would call us to persevere. Because he would say, the way that you will do this is in the way that my son did. People will want to label you. People will want to do this whole deal we have now with politics and the world. It's where you've got to agree with everything here or everything here. And it's like, you've got to choose which box you're going to be in. Jesus doesn't play that game. He's Jesus. And that's what he's calling us to do in following him. He, he is our tribe. He is our label. He is our Lord. We compromise nothing to follow Him. We don't care who doesn't like us. We don't care who no longer accepts us. And we may not even care if it comes down to who might want to kill us. As we close in the history of the world, one man that really exemplified this was William Wilberforce. If you want to hear a good biography, you can... Look up John Piper's biography on William Wilberforce. He says, Rarely has one man stood up against so many opponents or against so great an evil for so long and with so little encouragement. William Wilberforce in the 18th century fought against slavery and its abolition in the British Empire. William Wilberforce was labeled by many on both what might be called, if this wasn't the terms then, on his right as someone distracting to the true mission of the church, and others on his left as being too concerned with matters that were not only seeking the good socially, but doing so in the name of Jesus. He launched his campaign for the abolition of slavery in 1787. The bills he presented to Parliament were voted down no less than 11 times. There was international pressure for him to abandon his campaign. Because you know what he was doing? He was challenging the economic interest of an entire empire. Just think about that. This guy is saying. I'm going to challenge the economic interests of an entire empire. He says he faced hatred, humiliation, public slander, personal rejection, threats against his life, and the opposition of hundreds of politicians who were financially controlled by slaveholding interests. And he saw no success for 20 years. 20 years. After 20 years, when the bill finally passed, Instead, this great man sat with his head bowed and tears streaming down his face. Now here's where we get beneath the surface. What was the secret to Wilberforce's success? It wasn't some gospel light, faux justice, everybody's... It wasn't that. It wasn't what motivated him. What motivated him was the saving and persevering grace of God that loves humanity made in His image. So, As a young man, Wilberforce led a self-centered and luxurious life, but then the great change took place, his conversion to faith in Jesus Christ. And one of the first differences this made to completely transform his attitude was how he viewed his own wealth. So this isn't what we should all do, but this is what he did. He, he immediately gave away a quarter of his inherited wealth to the poor. And at first what he thought it looked like for him to truly follow Jesus was, well, I need to, to get out of this political sphere, and I, I need to become a pastor. I, I think, and I am a pastor, I think one of the greatest tricks and deceptions of the devil is to make people think that ultimate Christian maturity means you go into the ministry as we know it. That's a good trick. But luckily, Wilberforce had a friend whom you know his name, or you know the song he wrote, Amazing Grace, John Newton. And so he's going to John Newton, his buddy, his pastor, and he's saying, I, I want to give all my life to the Lord. And I think what giving all my life to the Lord looks like, I guess, is I just I need to learn to become a preacher or a pastor. And Newton wisely, I and mean, if you're called to be a pastor, I'm not trying to be negative against that. Again, here I am. But Newton helped Wilberforce see that that arena, that political arena was where God was calling him as a Christian. That was the place he was to serve. And we say this often, but I hope you know, that where you work and you live, that is just as much a place of mission and ministry than any pulpit or any office. And as Newton later wrote to his friend, he says, the Lord has raised you up for the good of his church and the good of his nation. And it was from that day on that Wilberforce committed to be an instrument of stopping courses of wickedness and cruelty in his country. And they challenged him. But he so embodied this and so embraced this call on his life that what some people don't know is even while he was working toward this big goal over the course of these decades to see slavery abolished, he also found time to, to be active in the leadership of the British Foreign Bible Society because he realized, hey, if we really want to see people change beneath the surface, the, the world's got to have the Word of God. The Church Missionary Society and then these things, the Society for the Manufacturing Poor. How are the poor being exploited in factories? Read your history, big time. And also, and this one surprised me, I probably need to hear this, the Royal Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. So again, that's not like some new snowflakeish type thing, right? Here was a guy who says, I want to care about every creature in the name of God the Creator. that he was convinced that these moral changes in society would ultimately only come and last through faith in Christ and through what he called the great doctrines of the gospel. For him, this meant what many call the doctrines of grace. There's so much more that we could say today, but stop there. We live in a world where people tell us we've got to choose. You've got to love people and care about personal righteousness, or you can sell out and compromise and, and care about public justice. And Jesus says, no, you don't. Because the greatest way to love people is to get to the heart. The heart of their lives and the heart of what's broken in this world. And we want to lead as we follow Jesus in the same. Father, thank you for the good news of Jesus. Thank you that he comes to give us his righteousness. And thank you that he shows us that the only way we can experience that at the depths of who we are is we have to address the inside of the cup of our own hearts. But thank you, God, he also cares about uh, the injustices and difficulties in the world around us. God, we just pray that you would help us to, to humbly follow him in that, protect us from any sort of uh, new legalisms that the enemy would like to lead us in in that, but at the same time, help us not to be afraid to try to do justice, love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. In Jesus' name.